So what if you're single? You're never alone in the single soul circle. Join us as we hear from singles who will inspire you and help you face the unique challenges and opportunities of the single life. I'm your host, Heidi Fry. I'm excited to have Nikki Sargent join us on the podcast today. Nikki is an Alzheimer's ambassador, advocate, and champion. Through caring for people with Alzheimer's and through her research, Nikki's prime goal is to promote awareness leading to a change in mindset, eliminating the stigmas attached to Alzheimer's. Nikki will share more about how she found her purpose. The day I started caring with Alzheimer's was the day I realized that was my purpose. How she's able to give back. And it was a moment in time when I actually decided, you know what, this lady has given so much. It's my time to give her something. The effect her methods have had on those she cares for. To see that she was engaging more with life. And it just, it just wanted me to just read more and research more. And how we can help our loved ones who may be affected by Alzheimer's. It's very important to make them feel loved. Well, thank you, Nikki, for joining us today in the Single Soul Circle. And when we were talking last week, you said something about an advantage being single that really stuck with me. Could you share that with our audience? Uh, First of all, Heidi, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak on your podcast. I really feel honored and humbled. So thank you. Um, Yes, definitely. I kind of found out a long time ago. Once I kind of went through that stage of seeing where I was in life, I realized that I've got a big advantage to to being single because being single, I can do, I can give a lot more time and energy and focus on things that like like friends and family if they've got problems. And I, I've noticed that quite quite a lot in my life where there's been times when a friend has been sick or whatever and Sometimes you end up staying quite late into the night, but if you've got a husband, it'll be like, you know, every five minutes, like, when are you coming home or the children? So, you know, definitely, although it can be quite a lonely life at times, it can be a very, very rewarding life. And it just allows you that scope and that time just to, to follow your passions and follow your dreams without anything inhibiting you or holding you back. That's great. Because I know a lot of people talk about single people and think they're selfish, but I think you're the perfect example of somebody who really has found purpose in in your life and really giving back to others. And you've helped so many people along that way. So let's hear more about your journey. Uh, How did it start to get you to this purpose into caregiving and helping the Alzheimer's community? Mm, it's It's actually quite a, quite a bit of a strange story. My youngest brother, uh, well, he's my own, my, him and I come from my, my mom. And he, there's like 14 years difference from him. And we were all born in Zimbabwe. And obviously things, we got quite tough and, you know, economically and, and everything. And uh, he decided to move his family to Australia. And at that stage, I had two young nephews. And oh, my goodness, my heart is just like so sore. And I promised to go and see them. And you weren't 
at that stage, Zim wasn't in the in the place where you could save money, let alone go to Australia on a holiday. So he kept on saying to me, Nikki, go and do care work. I said, no, I'm not doing care work. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to switch the lights off and all that. And then the one day I sat down, I thought, oh, my goodness, I promised my nephews to go to Australia for a holiday. And, I, you know, I need to do something. So it just happened so quick. I think it was about two years after that, I decided that I was just going to give up my job and I was going to take the plunge. And I was going to, I bought a return ticket to the UK. I had enrolled in a care agency place. I was worried. It was a complete change of life. I didn't know if I could do it. Um, I didn't even know if I was going to be accepted. It was just like full of all these fears and intrepidations. And I arrived there and I had to do like a four-day training. And I thought, what happens if they don't want me? What happens if they can't accept me, you know? At least I had an open return ticket. And it was just so amazing because I did my four days training. And the second day I was there, uh, they found me a job in Wales. That was the training stopped on the Friday. And I had my first job on Tuesday. And yeah, I I haven't looked back since then. I basically work quite tight. I normally work back to back. And uh, whatever money I make, I put away so that I can go visit my family in Australia and, and spoil them. <laughs> yeah. So wonderful. And now that you've been doing caregiving for a while, what have you learned from caregiving? You know, Heidi, that's quite an interesting question because it I could talk until the cows come home about that. But just very quickly, I, 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 I don't know about you, but being a single person, you know, you seem to question things more. You seem to question like, why am I single? What is the purpose? You know, like... What is my purpose in life? And for ooh, definitely my 20s, my 30s, my 40s, I kept on thinking, what is my purpose? And I was actually just about to give up. And the day I started caring with Alzheimer's was the day I realized that was my purpose. And, you know, I was just so fortunate enough that the first lady I looked after Alzheimer's um, it was a tricky situation, but she was just such a lovely person. And the more I got to, to know about her from her family and friends, the more I realized what an incredibly beautiful soul that she was. You know, she was one of these people that was in the medical fraternity. Her husband was in the medical fraternity and they literally just gave their lives to medicine and helping other people. She was there for her friends. You know, listening to the stories of how her friends spoke about her. And I remember just looking at her and just thinking, well, you know, you definitely don't deserve that. And it was a moment in time when I actually decided, you know what, this lady has given so much. It's my time to give her something. And I, when I first got there, I was like so nervous because, you know, in training, they kind of touch on Alzheimer's. The carer goes away. And you left with that person and you you then have to deal with their anxieties because they don't know you. They There's no trust. You're just some arbitrary person who's just walked in. And there's a million things that are happening. You know, you're insecure. They're insecure. It's, and and you you got to get to grips quite quickly. Otherwise, it could just spin out of control. 
And that's when I decided I needed to just jump on the internet and just Google and research. And the horrible thing was the more I read into the treatments that were there for Alzheimer's, it, it was dark. It was so dark. There was no hope. And you, you, you just feel this intense pain and, and uh, you, you just feel so helpless because you want to help the person, but it's like everywhere you look is just darkness. It's like this, this prison cell that these people have been sentenced to and like almost the key's been thrown away and you just think, man, there's got to be something behind this. And then after a, a few days of just being really downhearted about the whole thing, I remember thinking, hold on, let's just look at natural ways because I'm one of these people that, I, you know, I believe that, you know, in the old days that we had people that were so healthy, you know, people that lived into a hundred, they, they worked the fields, they went to war, especially the women. I mean, they were phenomenal back during the world wars and there was hardly any sickness. I, I tend to look at all the sicknesses that have come out in the world. They seem to be modern disease, mod, you know, diseases of modern day. And I'm, I know for myself, you know, having uh, asthma and all the rest of it, sometimes you know, I, I look for natural ways of trying to occur that. And the more I went into the, the natural research, the more I realized that, you know what, there's, there's a glimmer of hope here. When you felt that glimmer of hope, what did you do to continue on that path? And I kept reading and I thought, no, 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 this is nonsense. Because then you'll read another side of the coin and say, no, 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 this is all nonsense. This is all nonsense. But then you start reading. And I started reading people like, Dr. Axe, I came across my absolute hero, Dale Bredesen, who's been studying Alzheimer's for the last 30 years. And this man has, he's dedicated his entire like 30 years of research to just going into Alzheimer's. And this man has made incredible strides. I mean, so far that he's actually just bought out a book, I think it was in September, about the first hundred people of Alzheimer's who have he's had success with and how many times to actually hear that so you know I started reading people like him and I, I started reading protocols and things and I was just blown away by you know what there are things out there that you can actually use practical things that you seriously do not even have to spend money that's great to hear that there are things that anyone can do no matter what their bank account looks like what are some of those things that we can do changing your diet, exercise, music therapy. And I started using them and I was just blown away because I could see the person in front of me was changing and I could see the light in, the, in, in her eyes was becoming to come. I could see that she was engaging more with life and it, it just, it just wanted me to just read more and research more. And it was just so exciting. And um, I mean, as a carer, there's only a limited amount of things that you can do because at the end of the day, you're only a carer. But I was so, so blessed because her family was so supportive with me. So I just learned so much and I'm still learning. And sadly, you know, she passed away in sort of the first part of last year. And I, I, watched, I watched her die 
quite a painful death, you know, gasping for breath and all the rest of it. And, you know, sadly, it was in an environment where she wasn't acknowledged for what she was suffering. So it just complicated everything. You know, I then went on holidays and I, I remember, you know, as things evolve, you keep kind of thinking, oh, well, I could have done more. I should have done this. I should have done that. And you you feel guilty. And I remember sitting down the one time thinking, I wish I knew then what I knew now. Then I would be like three years ahead of the game. And, you know, because I, I kind of found that it was a journey for me to find the hope in Alzheimer's. And as I was finding that hope in Alzheimer's, I was able to to see somebody that was beginning to change and beginning to blossom. And, you know, and what, what I did with my limited amount was just like the tip of the iceberg. It's so beautiful how you recognize what she had given to the world and that you were able to give back to her through the caregiving and then learning, just jumping in and learning so much that you're able to pay forward as well. And with all of this research that you've done, it sounds like you've done a lot of research, read a lot, uh, have a lot of information. Is there anything that we could do to help prevent us from getting Alzheimer's that you'd be able to share with us? Again, there's a lot, but I'll try and condense it down. And that is basically, I've got a philosophy in life and it's called KISS. And it's called keep it simply simple. And I think a lot of the time we're looking for big, big solutions where in actual fact, if you go back, like what I mentioned to early man, I mean, his whole medicine chest was nature. He would pick this herb, that leaf, mix that together, mix that, and all his almonds were actually sorted. Sadly, I think what's actually happened is our environments, our mindsets, the stresses and strains of life has actually got the better of us, and it's actually made us sick. Okay, So there's certain risk factors for, for Alzheimer's that are, are well-documented. Um, even on the Alzheimer's sites and all that. And think those are uh, things that we all know, things like diabetes, things like obesity, things like excess drinking, you know, too much alcohol is not a good thing for the brain, lack of exercise, lack of stimulation, depression. And if you look at those, those are very simple things to actually manage. It's just a lot of the time in our busy life, we will rather pop a pill bottle, then change what actually is causing it. And I think the more I've gone into research of this, the more I'm realizing that there is a branch of medicine out there that takes time to actually treat the root cause and not the symptom. If we are aware of what we can do, we can sort it out. So it's your mindset. It's making sure that you try and stay as positive as possible. Lots and lots of people who have got Alzheimer's ultimately start with depression because depression is a negative thing. And, and that's the interesting thing about Alzheimer's. It's not just one thing. It could be five or six different things. So it's getting that balance of 
trying to get all of them. But the simple things would be make sure that you exercise every day because exercising is just so important. It makes sure that you've got movement. As you're exercising, you're actually moving everything around in your body. So, you know, your heart rate goes up, your blood starts pumping. You know, we're not sluggish. So when our heart is beating nicely and our blood is pumping around our body, there's no blockages. Everything is working properly. They also say that, believe it or not, but walking is one of the things that uses quite a big portion of your brain because you think of it, there's so much that actually happens for you to actually walk that is really good and it's relaxing and you can walk out in nature. So you're getting you're getting the good feeling of vibration and you are elevating things. So definitely look at exercise and look where you exercise. You know, I'm not saying exercising in a gym is a bad thing, but look at your quality of exercise because if you can go out and you can go running with a group of friends out in nature, you're getting so much more enjoyment out of it. You're getting your happy hormones. You're getting the vitamin D from the sun. You're getting interaction. You're feeling all those senses. So that's really good. I think walking became a really important thing during the pandemic. I felt like a lot of people were getting out and walking more because it was sort of the only thing you could do. And I feel like I know for myself, it really helped bring my stress down to just be outside, you know, see some flowers in somebody's yard, breathe the fresh air. Like you said, get some, get some sun on me, some fresh air. And I would say, I noticed a lot of people got out and walked more. And it's one of those things I hope people continue now that they can go other places because that really seems to be something that's really important for a number of a number of reasons so thank you for sharing that about walking. absolutely and thank you for reminding me that because the the lady that I was looking after in question although her verbal communication was very limited that is one of the things that she derives so much joy and pleasure out of and that was nature we were always out in nature we were walking and you could just see the happiness on her face you know you could just see the joy when she saw something beautiful and she would say, look, look, and there's joy and there's joy. And that, that was a joy that, that fills your bucket. And, and, you know, going back to what you say about, you know, the pandemic and being out walking, you know, also another thing about walking as well is a lot of the times you are walking with somebody, especially during the pandemic, it was like we left up in our houses and now it's like, it's like another human being. So you also then having that social activity. So you being validated as a human being. And, and all those things are so vital that you can't just get all those. And those are for free. You know, we don't get those. Um, and we don't, know, we don't value the importance that it has on our body because a positive mindset and vibration means we, we've got a happy disposition. And when we've got a happy disposition in our body, everything is firing on all cylinders. Thank you for sharing that. So some of us have family members or friends that may be starting to experience Alzheimer's or be directly in it. What are some of the things that we should know about people with Alzheimer's? First of all, I think 
you know, if you go back to a person who perhaps maybe realizes that there's not something quite right with them and they suspect Alzheimer's, one of the signs is they just want to withdraw because they're realizing that they're not remembering things properly, they perhaps are maybe forgetting people's names, they perhaps are not holding, being able to use the correct words in conversation. So there's a lot of embarrassment and fear and sadness, a lot of sadness because, you know, as human beings, we all want to socialize. But if we feel that we are no longer communicating and presenting ourselves at a level that people are used to, you start feeling ashamed. Your whole body just shows it. A lot of people withdraw, you know, people that don't eat anymore because they forget, you know, people might be putting milk in the cupboard instead of in the fridge. I mean, I've even done that, (laughs) you know, but, you know, things like that, you know, if, if, you, if you kind of see that, that people, your loved one is not bathing, you know, it's because maybe a lot of the times as they, they go through, they might forget how to do things or they'll switch the stove on and they'll forget to switch it off or they'll go to make a cup of tea and they boil the kettle and then forget what they're trying to do. So you will see signs of neglect in their life. You will see them withdraw. And it's not a case of mom or dad or auntie so-and-so is being awkward. They've actually got a real problem. And older people, especially parents, don't want to be a burden on, on their children. So they will try and hide it. They will try and camouflage it until it's like too late or until it becomes an argument and the spouse will turn around. You go and sort your, your mom and dad out because they're being unreasonable. And it's not. It's because they're really frightened. So I think at all stages of Alzheimer's and all and all types of dementia, it's when you're caring for somebody with Alzheimer's or any other forms of dementia, love is the most important thing. You know, no matter where they are, what they're going through, it's very important to make them feel loved because when they're going through these stages, they will feel a burden, and if they if the family members that they are dealing with get crossed with them and all it does is just push them deeper into themselves and deeper into a level of depression because why do they get depressed because they are no longer the people they they were they can no longer do what comes naturally to them and they can no longer operate on that level that they did in a social circle So they withdraw from their social circle, they withdraw from their family, and they become very lonely, and they want to go out, but they're scared to go out. So keep loving them unconditionally and encouraging them, and also they need to feel safe. So if they don't feel safe going out of the environment, they will stay in an environment that they feel safe, which is normally their, their home. As the the disease kind of progresses, you know, there's different stages of it. And then it's making sure that, you know, there comes a time while they've still got their cognitive ability, there needs to be things to be sorted out. There needs to be 
a relationship where you can actually sit down with your mom and dad and say, okay, listen, mom or dad, you know, I can see we've got a little bit of a problem. And that's when you start going to places like, you know, doctors and start having serious conversations about power of attorneys. What are their likes and dislikes? Because, you know, very often when carers, you know, like outside carers will come into the equation, they need to know a little bit of knowledge about the person they're looking after. What were their likes? What what were their dislikes? What were their interests? So we can use those tools to actually try and interact and reach them because they still feel the same. They still want the same things, but they've lost that ability to actually ask for it and to to live in it. So they then move into an environment where, as it progresses, they can no longer stimulate themselves. So they look for the person who's caring for them to actually stimulate them. A lot of the times you'll hear people, oh, dad just doesn't want to get out of bed. He just wants to stay in bed. Or I'll get him out of bed and then five minutes later he's back in bed. Well, maybe it's because he feels safe there. Because if he's out and about, he knows he's going to do something wrong. He doesn't want to get shouted at. He doesn't want to be a burden. So being stuck in his room, in his environment, makes him safe. That's where, that's where it takes a lot of time and patience and intuitive and thinking outside the box because you've constantly got to be responsible for their stimulation. You've constantly got to try and find things that draw them out. And once you draw them out and get that happiness, you've got to change person. And earlier you had talked about music therapy. Could you talk about how that plays a part in this? I found that was number one, music therapy. The lady that I looked after was a ballet dancer, so she loved music. She loved music. And I used music on so many different levels. I first started using music when I first got to her. She was wandering around at nighttime and she wasn't sleeping properly. Through my research, I, I realized that, you know, oh, you know, music can be really important. So I started playing music very softly. And uh, we got classical FM in the UK. I'm sure you've got something similar over there. So in the evening, I used to play, when she went to bed, I used to put classical FM quite quietly in her room. But that way, if she woke up in the middle of the night, she didn't feel alone. And I made sure that the door was slightly open and there was a light sort of in the toilet. So she didn't feel afraid of the dark. And I found that that definitely helped helped her and then more and more we started having music and we started dancing to music and the more and more we started dancing to music the more the happiness started coming out the laughing started coming out and it got to a stage where there was music in the whole house one bedroom was classical fm yeah in the kitchen we had a bit of pop music and 70s and 80s and you know what? It was fantastic for me because I could be in a job where my inner child was there the whole day. And I also found that as the Alzheimer's actually increased, there was there was problems moving from one space to another, you know, flooring. Sometimes, you know, like if you've got like certain color floorings, it almost plays tricks with them because 
as people with Alzheimer's develop, they they don't have that 3D ability anymore, you know, so they don't have a problem with spatial things. And, you know, something dark will look like a hole. So that means when you're moving from one surface to the other and you've got like a carpet, it's like a cream color and you come to a dark color, it frightens them. So they freeze and they don't want to move. It's not because they're being stubborn. They, they're afraid. And it got to a stage where I, I could tell where she had problems with and we would have music, play music. And I, in fact, I had a little portable Bose speaker that I bought and they used to be in my pocket and iPhone in one pocket, speaker in the other one. And we used to bop out the music and we used to go to the shower in the morning. And that's how we used to move from one surface to the other because that way her mind was relaxed. She was holding my hand and she was able to move through surfaces. So I learned that through music, you can overcome so many barriers. And it's like the music creates a a trust. It also stimulates the brain differently. I also found that by using things like music, there was definitely more cognitive. The cognition was actually kind of in some areas like igniting in some things. And you go, you go to the brain. I mean, our brain in our lifetime, we only use 2%. And there's that theory, there's that big theory that really interested me right in the beginning when on my four-day course when they were talking about rewiring the brain. All of a sudden, my brain was like, oh, you know, that. <laughs> and it's so true because I, I, I see it time and time again in the work that I do with people with Alzheimer's. Part baby dies and they forget how to get in and out of bed, you know. You, through repetition on a daily basis, it then becomes habit forming. So it's almost like new neurons and new pathways can be formed so that things can be learned again. But it takes time and it takes a lot of patience, but it can be done. That's such a beautiful use of music and so so much fun using the different types of music and using that to build trust. That's some really great examples there and sounds like a lot of fun as well. It, well, it can be. And you know what? Caregiving for someone with Alzheimer's, it can be very draining and very hard. But at the end of the day, if you look at it and you say, right, let's just put a fun factor into it, it makes it easier for you and it makes it easier for the person you're caring for. You hear a lot of people, especially family members who look after uh, the aged, it, there's burnout. And a lot of the times is people with Alzheimer's are very intuitive, you know, they pick up things so quickly because, you know, normally if a person is blind, their hearing is increased. And it seems to be the same with Alzheimer's because as they lose ability for one, they become so intuitive to the person who is caring for them. By their action, they can tell you more about what you are feeling than you actually realize that. So if you're feeling frustrated because you've come from an environment where the kids are screaming, they're not doing their homework, and now you have to deal with mom and it's like, oh, do I really need to deal with this? They will pick that up. They will pick it up in the tone of your voice. They will pick it up by your body language. And that's one of the things we have to be so, so careful as caregivers is the way we speak, our facial expressions, and our body language. Because those things will either bring out the better in them 
it'll just send them back into a place in their mind where they feel safe. Very important points. And from everything that you've done with your research and then your personal experiences, you've decided to write a book. Can you tell me more about that decision and what we can expect in your book? Okay, well, um, right in the beginning, I kind of did touch on the fact of, you know, sort of going through that journey with my lady and, and just learning. And I think the most incredible thing for me is I was with a lady who is verbal ability was pretty limited in words okay but at the same token there was a language that didn't need words it's very hard to describe but and that that's where we've got caring and we've got care partnership and I think in a thing like Alzheimer's it's more than caring it's a partnership you do these things together because if you look at it, a person with Alzheimer's relies on you, especially in advanced stages, for every part of their care. They need your help getting up. They need your help to wash, to dress, to cook, to eat, you know. And as, as they progress, you have to feed them. You have to hold the cup so that they can take a sip. So everything that comes to them is basically aided by you. So there becomes that partnership. And I think that's one of the most incredible things is learning that. And I think it's one of the things that so often in Alzheimer's is not actually highlighted. And as I said to you, it's the simple things. And if we actually sit down and logically think about it, it all makes sense. It all makes sense. You know, just as you have to do things for a child as it grows, there's a different stage in Alzheimer's that you need to look at it as a learning stage, a learning stage of how to relearn for them to do things. And in, in that, you learn together. It, it's, it's a partnership. It, it can only be successful if the partnership is strong. So when I decided to write my book was looking back over the last over three years that I had with my lady and thinking what would I have done differently and it kept coming back to the same thing if I had known at the beginning when I was looking after her what I had known at the end I could have been way much more ahead in in the care for her and I could have given her an even better quality of life and Again, as I said to you, as a carer, what I touched was the tip of the iceberg. So for a family member who is looking after their family, there's so much more that they can actually do. There's, there's so much more. And that's what I, I want to cover in my book. So I go to practical things that I, as a carer, did by putting turmeric, look, looking at their diet and changing the diet, looking at Alzheimer's. And realizing that the new format there that came from Dale Bredesen is that Alzheimer's is actually like type 3 diabetes. So sugar causes inflammation to the brain. When you've got inflammation to the brain, very simply, you're going to start getting death in that section of the brain. So all the functions that relate to that side of the brain are obviously not going to be there. So 
how do we do that? And hypocrisy said, all disease starts in the gut. So again, let's look at the stomach. You look at things like uh, the things that we eat, how our food is processed, how our food is grown. Sadly, it encompasses so much because the way farming is today was not the way that farming was 100 years ago. Why? Because people want to have higher yields, more productivity. So the whole concept of farming has changed and has become more of a money-making focus as opposed to a health focus. So the health in food has gone out the window and profit, profit, profit everywhere you look. We've got in growing our foods, there's insecticides, there's pesticides and all that. What is that doing on our gut? It's destroying our gut. When it's destroying our gut, we end up messing up our stomach lining. That means there's lots more toxins in the world. We've got more pollution. That is finding its way into our stomach. The, the bacteria that we've got in our stomach, we've got good bacteria, we've got bad bacteria. Right now, the bad bacteria is winning all the way to the bank. The good bacteria is dying, and therefore our immune system is not like it should be. 70 to 80% of our immune system is found in the gut. So if your immune system is found in the gut, your gut is not working properly. You've got gluten intolerance, celiac intolerance. What on earth is going to go into your blood? What is going to go to the rest of the organs? Then you've got your blood-brain barrier. It's only a matter of time if they've worked through the stomach lining, which for hundreds and thousands of years has stayed intact. What is it going to do to your blood-brain barrier? And then once it enters into the brain, that's it. You know, and then it starts affecting your whole body. I, I'm a great believer in, yes, it's, and, and you know, the, this COP26 is coming up. And we're looking at environment and we're looking at, you know, gas emissions on, on the environment. But it's not just the planet. It's not just the animals, but it's the impact that it's also having on our brain. So for me, I would like to say, yes, gentlemen, absolutely. And ladies, 100 percent. We need to clean the planet up for the generations to come. But we need to clean it up now. For us living here right now, because what is in our environment right now is toxic to our brains. And we are going to be extinct before the animal kingdom is extinct. That sounds like a very impactful book, and I can't wait until it comes out. I think there's amazing advice that you have for everybody and clearly a lot of things that that we can do both to protect ourselves from it happening and then being able to care for our friends and family through, through Alzheimer's as well. So thank you so much for all you've done for the community and being able to share that information with our listeners today. And then through the book that you'll have coming out, what are some other ways we can learn from you? On my LinkedIn profile, I, I just talk about Alzheimer's and I talk about anything to do with Alzheimer's. So, you know, I'm, I'm always around to actually try and answer people's questions i've also got a website that's coming out quite soon that i'm kind of working on where i also want to just give that opportunity to people family members who have actually who are battling with trying to balance their lives between their family life and looking after someone with alzheimer's because i think 
a lot of the time it's so easy to get burnout when we just need people around us. You know, we, there's Alcoholics Anonymous, but I also feel that there needs to be some more support for the carers. So, and, and that's one of my things is just trying to spread Alzheimer's awareness. We will share a link to your LinkedIn page in the show notes. Could you also share more about the 55-day challenge you are participating in on LinkedIn? About five days ago, one of the ladies that I'm involved with in a sort of a, another group uh, to do with LinkedIn, and uh, she just said that, you know, she was thinking that it's coming to the end of the year, and what can we do? There's only 55 days left until the end of the year. What can we do to actually make those 55 days count? And I thought, oh, yes, definitely. So I've started a thing um, every day. Uh, I need to bring it down a bit. I'm I'm learning. But it's normally like six to eight minutes where I just talk about little aspects of Alzheimer's. I give out a little bit of practical advice on what's going on. And also Robin Williams. I've just kind of, Robin Williams actually died of Lewy Body's dementia. And that, that is another disease that if you read about him, there was behavioral issues that he actually had towards the end. And it's, it's a disease that's also misunderstood. So I kind of start every morning because his famous line was, good morning, Vietnam. So I say good morning. It doesn't matter what part it is because that's my tribute to him and, and, and Louis Bodies. So it's just a little thing every day just to give you some practical advices and and just simple things, simple herbs to use, simple things, you know, anti-inflammatories, antioxidants. And by the way, that's something I need to just quickly touch on there. Look at things of antioxidants and anti-inflammatories for Alzheimer's. And and even now in your diet today, because it starts today, blueberries are so important. And just it's simple things. Start stop being constructive. Well, thank you so much for that. We'll share your contact information in the show notes so people can follow you with your 55 days. Uh, thank you so much for joining us to share more about your experience through the caregiving process, what you've learned about Alzheimer's and inspiring us to really follow our purpose and passions because there's so much that we can give back no matter what area interests us. So thank you so much for being with us today. Absolutely. And again, Heidi, thank you so much for this opportunity um, because it is my passion to spread Alzheimer's and what a better way than to do it on your podcast. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Single Soul Circle podcast. If you'd like to be a guest or have an idea for a guest, email me at singlesoulcircle at gmail.com and be sure to check out our blog at singlesoulcircle.com. 